2015 featured some huge reveals, including Final Fantasy VII-R, Uncharted 4, and Doom. But it also included a very strange tech demo centered around a young woman equipped with only a bow and a spear taking on a mechanical T-Rex strapped to the teeth with guns. This weird little game went on to be 2017's Horizon Zero Dawn, one of PlayStation's biggest exclusives of the console generation. With the mix of a fascinating world, intense combat, and a ton of content, the game was a tremendous critical and commercial success. We've known for some time that a sequel was coming, but it wasn't until now, five years later, that Horizon Forbidden West arrived. Aloy is ready to take up her bow and venture into a bigger, more complex world. But is it any good? I'm your host, Jordan Walkup, and here to help me answer that question are my two brothers. I'm Jackson. And I'm the other one. Welcome to the Totally Biased Media Podcast. And with all mother's blessing, I say, let's get into it. This game is wild, y'all. Before we get too far into what it is or what the new game is or anything with the story, let's just talk a little bit about our personal experiences with the first game. Jason, I know you're probably the, the one that's played it the least of us. What were your initial thoughts trying out Horizon five years ago? I never tried it five years ago, if I'm honest. I tried, mm. I, I tried it uh, last year and I did not like it very much. I think we've just kind of been spoiled with open world games over the past couple of years. More than that, I think my interests have just really kind of moved away from the kind of game that Horizon Zero Dawn is. Yeah. I mean, I've played like the first few hours of it. I've tried to get into it, but it, it's just not for me personally. I get that. Horizon Zero Dawn is one of the better, is, is in my opinion, one of the best open world games, but it still has a lot of your average open world like here's a point on the map go find it if it's not a point on the map it doesn't matter well as a million people have said horizon zero dawn to most people at least is the game that came out a week before the legend of zelda <laughs> breath of the wild and yeah. from what i'm seeing horizons uh, forbidden west is the game that came out a week before elden ring yeah it has <laughs> yeah. not had yeah. A great time. So just I'm just gonna go ahead and get it out there. I didn't play this game, and I didn't play the first one. So <laughs> that's why Jason is not going to be reviewing this one. But it'll be good to have you as part of the conversation, just for some outside perspective and to ask questions about things that we might sort of gloss over. Because Jackson and I have played a lot of the first game. Yeah, Jackson, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? I first played Horizon about the time that it came out. I did not beat it until August of 2021. It took me four years and three different saves to eventually beat it. I really do not have an explanation as to why that happened. Even, you know, after spending so many years with it and only beating it once, it is one of my favorite games that has been, you know, on the, the PS4. I mean, you're fighting dinosaurs with a bow and arrow, like... <laughs> Yeah, you're right. You are fighting dinosaurs with a bow and arrow. 
So why is it so boring to me? <laughs> like I said, still has a lot of the average open world stuff, which I think can really make it a slog. Especially the like five or six-ish hours in the first game before you get to the desert region. I think those can really be a slog. And I think is where I fell out of the game a lot of times that I tried to play it. So I understand why there are people that do not like this game. But I personally really enjoy it. Probably my favorite open world. Jordan, what's your experience? Oh, I loved (laughs) Horizon Zero Dawn. Like, it is one of my absolute favorite games of all time. And I, at the time, none of that fatigue or the trappings that come with an open world game bothered me at all. Like, like I played this game so much when it came out. I played it so much in the first week, there was a point where I was just like, I don't know, man. I don't think Breath of the Wild can live up to this. And uh, that was not the outcome, <laughs> but but I, I I just I really loved the world and the characters, and I was just so I was so caught up in everything that they created for this game because it hooked me from the beginning on just this insane premise of you are you know using <laughs> sticks and rocks and you are fighting this crazy future tech that doesn't make any sense, but then as I actually got into it and saw how the world unfolded and how the characters sort of interacted with, you know, everything that was laid out in the story, I was just, I was blown away. Like I really, really loved Zero Dawn. So I've been very, very excited about Forbidden West for a very, very long time. So I guess to sort of set up a little bit about this, because a lot of people recognize this game sort of at face value. This is the game where you fight robot dinosaurs (laughs) but the actual story is weirdly complex still good so yes no very very good shockingly good yeah like Like, shouldn't have been able to tie up as well as it does with how crazy of a premise it is but the the whole idea is that this is a post-apocalyptic world where humans aren't on the brink of extinction like you normally see humans win extinct And a thousand years later, they're just back. And now they're having to live in these sort of, you know, they're they're having to build their own society from the ground up without the knowledge that people had a thousand years prior. And they're sort of trying to make sense of a world that they're just thrust into. And you spend most of the game, um, well, you you play as Aloy, uh, a young woman who was an outcast of one of these societies that has been built up in humanity's wake. The Nora. And, yeah, she is a Nora, which is one of the the major tribes, which is a aspect that's explored extensively in both games. And um, Actually, she's not a Nora. Okay, wow. so she is an outcast. <laughs> she's an outcast <laughs> who of lives, the Nora. No, she's an outcast who lives near the Nora. <laughs> I guess she was technically never of a specific tribe. But the story is... Uh, told through Aloy, who is a young woman who doesn't really know much about her own story. She doesn't know her parents. She doesn't know, you know, she doesn't know what her connection to this world is. Um, she doesn't even really know why she was cast out as a baby. And you spend a lot of the game just trying to figure out why. And then you find out that it's part of a massive, massive system of processes that were created by humans a thousand years prior called Zero Dawn, which was essentially a system where humanity knew they were going to die. They, they knew that the end of the world was coming. 
So instead of just accepting it and letting humanity die out, they built a way to fix the world and then basically have humans repopulate the earth after. And that takes a lot of different shapes that the the metal machines that are walking around the world, they all have different purposes. You have grazers that are taking care of the plant life, and you have alligator-type machines that are purifying the water, and you have the T-Rexes that are helping with straight-up terraforming the planet. And all this works in tandem with this system where humanity's genetic material, whatever that looks like in this case, is essentially in cold storage, and then they basically have machines that give birth to new humans a thousand years later. Somewhere several hundred years into the process, uh, humans started to reemerge a bit too early, (laughs) which is why they don't have all the knowledge that they needed to sort of rebuild civilization as it was before. But it's it's this idea that this is a, a world where humanity didn't just... You know, they weren't on the brink. They died. The humans were gone, and now they're back again. And it's an insane premise. From start to finish, everything about this game is crazy. But it's tied together so well, so coherently. Like, not there aren't a thousand plot holes as you would anticipate with a story this crazy. Like, I was blown away by how well it was all wrapped up in in, uh, Zero Dawn. I found out. This morning, actually, as I was reading a little bit about the game's history, why it was wrapped up so well. So, the head writer for this game was not someone who had previously worked with Guerrilla, uh, which had only really made the Killzone games, which were good, but didn't necessarily excel in their narrative. The head writer they brought on was Mr. John Gonzalez, who had some hits, such as... Uh, Middle-earth Shadow of Mordor and in war but most notably Fallout New Vegas ah I was expecting you to say like Bioshock no 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 uh that's still impressive I, but I would say it's more impressive yeah for like, sure for Bioshock's sure. a good game but it is not like narratively <laughs> as good as Fallout New Vegas right I think that even as someone who's not a huge Fallout fan, I can recognize that this this guy is is probably the best at what he does, and uh, it you know he he ties it all together in such a, an impressive way, both in terms of the explanation for how the world works and how the humans interact with it and Aloy's place in it. It's all just so cool, and I think that that's a, a good segue to sort of talk about the story specifically about what is happening in Forbidden West. So in the first game, Aloy manages to defeat a series of aggressive machines that are being corrupted by some kind of virus, um, something that they don't really understand. And uh, throughout the game, she teams up with a man named Silence, who basically is using her to get to this virus and to better contain it and use it for himself. So after you defeat it, he manages to sort of control it. He disappears for a while. And then Aloy finds out that even though she defeated the catalyst for a lot of the bad things that they've experienced that this virus is still out there, and in other parts of the world, it's terrorizing much faster and more aggressively than it did in her near her tribe. So, she heads out to the Forbidden West, 
a part of the world that she was previously not allowed to explore because it's it's controlled by other tribes. And uh, she is seeking out silence, trying to understand what the virus is doing, and essentially trying to create a functional version of Zero Dawn that will allow her to fix the things that weren't effectively fixed the first time. That pretty much puts us to what Horizon is and what Forbidden West is and why I love these games so much. So I guess one of the the biggest things you really have to consider since this is an open world game is the world. So Jackson, why don't you talk a little bit about that? Like what are your thoughts about the map and what all there is to do in it and all that jazz? My feelings about the world in Forbidden West are very mixed because... There is a lot of good things about the world in this game. Mostly that, like, it is one gorgeous. This this is honestly the best-looking game I have ever seen. It is something. Yeah, I mean, I would have to say, if I describe the world of this game, probably beautiful for spacious skies, for amber <laughs> waves of grain, for purple mountain majesties above the fruited plain. It's all tracking so far, though, so... <laughs> Yeah, no, th- this game is gorgeous. Yeah. Like, it, it is the best-looking game. It is certainly the best-looking console game out right now. I couldn't speak to what people can do with some super high-end you know, PC rigs, but, like, this is the best-looking game I have ever personally played. Right. There's a lot of life in the world, too. There are tons of very different, unique tribal settlements throughout this game. One of my favorites so far, pretty early in the game, is a place called Plainsong. Which is built... Okay, this is really going to defeat the purpose of me saying that it's really cool. Um, because I honestly don't know what it is. It's either built out of a hollowed out giant tree or out of a satellite. Which are very... Two very different things. <laughs> but like... So it's all very vertical above the land. And everything around it is flat lands that's just farmland. And it's just really cool to see. My problem with this game though is also shown pretty early in the game, is that just because something in the world looks cool does not mean that it is. Because pretty early on, you can can find the husk of a metal devil. There is nothing there, though. There are some enemies on patrol, and, like, you can get a close-up look at it, I guess, but, like, it's there's nothing to do there. You can just go and look at it. And so that's pretty disappointing. when you say metal devil, <laughs> so metal devils are gigantic troop carrier machines. Um, I'm thinking of the giant robot god monster things from Xenoblade Chronicles, which I know you haven't played, but I think Jordan's at least seen them. That's actually comparable. Yeah. Not quite to that scale, of course. Like they're not big enough; people could actually live on them. But they are big enough that like they're almost as big as mountains. Oh yeah. The the closest thing I can describe this is. Imagine the body of a Leviathan from Mass Effect, but if it had Dr. Octopus tentacles. Yeah, there we go. There's a lot of good things about the world, but then there's stuff like that, because it's really disappointing when you step into the Forbidden West, and you see this, and like, you're like, whoa, that's awesome. I want to go to it and see what's there. And you get there, and there's nothing. Yeah, this game definitely suffers from that sort of checklist mentality that I think a lot of open world games fall into. It didn't phase me as much in Zero Dawn, but I think that was just sort of the timing. 
Like, this game is massive, and it is beautiful, and there is a ton of stuff to see. But generally speaking, there's no rewarding reason just to seek something out unless the map has, like, a marker there that says, this is a bandit camp, or there is a special type of machine here, or there is a hidden item. It's cool just to explore, but you never really get anything other than just seeing something cool, yeah. which is great, but it doesn't have... Right. It doesn't have the depth that we're seeing in other games right now. Right. You know, especially and, Elden Ring. <laughs> and saying something cool is nice. Because, like, in the previous Horizon games, you could see um, some of these. I think there were two or three on the map. But, like, you knew you couldn't go to them. So, like, you weren't expecting, like, oh, I can go to this and find something cool. Like, it was just, like, it's a really cool sight to see. In this game, you can go to it, and there's nothing. I think, I mean, part of the problem is... You can see all the cool things you want, but that's not what video games are for. Yeah. Right. Right. So, you know, I, I think that's well established. The world is, is beautiful, but it doesn't, and it has a, like, it has a lot of stuff in it. Like there is, there are a lot of machines and the machines feel like they're much more natural to the environment. The towns feel much more alive than they did the first time around. I think that was one of the game's biggest weaknesses was it was a lot of stationary NPCs that repeated voice lines. Whereas now there's people walking around and there's more diversity in the layout of towns. And, you know, like what Jackson was talking about, some, some of them are, you know, built into specific environments or are much more vertical or just to have different sort of unique concepts that make them more interesting. Now, I noticed I, you didn't pipe in. Do you also not know if it's a satellite or a tree? <laughs> I've, I was thinking it's a satellite because it's in a... I didn't know what it was, but it's in a desert where there are a lot of other satellites. The thing is, it's also it's like supported it's like by moss a, covered. Yeah, though. it is. It is like what he's talking about. It's a very cool looking town. I I don't know for sure what it is. I was assuming satellite because it's in a big valley with a lot of other satellites. But beyond that, I I didn't really think too much of it. <laughs> um, but I think for me. As cool as the world is, what really sold me on the first game and what's really doing the heavy lifting this time around is the characters. In my opinion, Aloy is the coolest video game protagonist out there. I just, I love the way that she works and the way she interacts with people and the way that she thinks. And it feels very genuine and thorough. It's not as one dimensional as a lot of video game protagonists are, so you can sort of insert yourself into them. Aloy is an established character with her own ideals, and even though you can choose how far she expands upon certain ideas or how she, you know, reacts to very specific situations, like, she is a self-contained character and a very interesting one at that. I heard that her character kind of reset in this game. I've at least heard, you know, some people say that it kind of seems like a lot of the growth that she went through as a character in the first game kind of went away in this game in favor of trying to rebuild that character again, but in a more compelling way. I could certainly see that criticism. Yeah. I, I don't necessarily see it that way because there is justification. Essentially, she succeeded in stopping this potentially world-ending threat, but was immediately thrown back into the mix. So there was this sense of like everything she built was sort of taken away. You know, her going back to sort of her cloistered, you know, unapologetically rude thing at the beginning, it's definitely there, but it's a lot more, there's a lot more depth to it than there was in the first game. 
Like this time around, even though she is pushing people away because that is her nature, you can see a much larger range of emotions that come with that. And, you know, it was sort of a bummer to see her take two steps back in the beginning, but I think the reason makes sense and the direction that it's moving in is is solid. I will say it does feel like they leaned back into the whole, like, loner aspect of Aloy, which I will hmm. say, I don't think by the end of Zero Dawn that she's just, like, this super charismatic, extroverted person. Like, the fact that she lived, like, at least 18 years in solitude definitely takes a toll <laughs> sure by the end of zero dawn she definitely opens up a little more and it does feel like they kind of push that back a little for at least the opening of forbidden west yeah disclaimer because yeah. i haven't said it yet um i have probably not even reached the halfway point in forbidden west so there's a lot i can't talk about yet i'm confident i'm at least halfway through story-wise i've barely even scratched the surface on some of the open world content which admittedly hasn't been quite as compelling this time around. I'm I'm certainly finding just clear out enemy bases, find, you know, random collectibles. I'm I'm not enjoying that stuff as much as I did in the first game, which I attribute more to when this game was released and the other type of games I've been playing lately more than its own shortcomings, but I think it's certainly worth mentioning that it just doesn't draw me to everything on the map like the first game did i don't know entirely why that is because i still think that finding you know better weapons and armor and items that help me interact with the world is still really cool it's just not quite as compelling as it was the first time around i also i feel like speaking of equipment they leaned heavily into you know another common open world thing that the first game didn't really do where you know, you'll find specific luck um, throughout the game, and then eventually you'll get something to open that. First game did not really have any of that, unless it was, like, essential to the story. Because, like, in the first yeah. game, right at the start, you have identity locked door. And, like, it's very obvious something important for the story, and you don't unlock it until very late in the game. And, like, there's nothing there, like, you know, equipment-wise or anything. It's just, it's story-based. So, like, that's something that makes sense. But, like... Early on in this game, you'll find these crystal flower growth things on doors. And the only thing that's being blocked by them is just, like, more resources and stuff. Yeah. And there's also the uh, the pool caster, which is extremely disappointing. <laughs> um, <laughs> you yeah. can only use it on fixed points. So This is basically a grappling hook, by yeah, the way. Yeah. Uh, you can only use it on fixed points. And unless it's just an upgrade I have not unlocked yet you cannot use it on enemies, which is also disappointing. Now, I thought he'd said pool caster. Nah. And I was really hoping for something that would maybe shoot an inflatable pool. That would be nice. <laughs> That'd be a lot better. And then you can jump into it and you don't take fall damage. <laughs> it's the hydrator from uh, Ratchet and Clank. <laughs> just it lets you take a small amount of water and then turn it into a pool full of water instantly. It just works. There is sort of this like, metroidvania level to it where you find locked doors knowing you're just gonna have to come back with another item later that is kind of annoying and kind of flies in the face of the open worldness of the game in my experience you unlock most of those things early enough it's not that big of a hassle but it is annoying seeing like the on the other side of this wall is just a random collectible but I can't get it yet and I need to come back later and I think everyone wants to put metroidvania stuff in their games and i i think 
something that's kind of interesting with that is that when you see it in an open world like RPG game, it's almost always something tedious. But Metroidvanias as a genre have been more or less like removing the tedious parts. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's also different because a big draw of Metroidvanias is they're normally a really tight, very specifically laid out map. Yeah. And in a huge open world game like this, having to traverse back to something just so you can open this one door and get this one coin or whatever, it feels way less worth yeah, it. Yeah, if there were less of them and if there were more meaningful items behind them, I wouldn't really care too much. Let's get into the combat, which in my opinion, very oh, cool. Yeah. Overall, <laughs> combat is phenomenal. And even in the little bit I've played, I think is a big step up from Forbidden West. I mean, uh, from Zero yeah. Dawn. Mostly because... Yeah, it expands upon everything. Mostly because the melee combat is ten times better. In the first yeah. game, the only skills you could get that were melee focused were leader strikes or stealth strikes or strike from above or strike from below. Now... What if you're on the same level as them? Uh, you got you, nothing. Yeah, you're just... You're, you're stuck. Plus your regular R1 combo and heavy combo. Um, in yeah, this, that was it. It is ten times better in this. You have so much you can do. There's an entire skill tree just dedicated to melee combos. Yeah, and they're all cool and all useful. Overall, it's a lot better. Yeah, melee has been improved significantly, and I think that the ranged combat's been improved as well. It's just not as much of a drastic overhaul. The the ranged combat didn't need an overhaul because right. it was already the pretty much the best in the business. Right. But one thing that has sort of changed in the first game, you went in with four weapons and now you can have six, which doesn't seem that significant, but it opens up a lot of doors. Like you can have a lot more type combinations and elemental effects and things that work together more coherently than in the first game where you pretty much just had to have like well, I gotta have this weapon just for dealing damage of this type and this weapon because it's really precise and like this game you can be really specific like I'm carrying two of the same weapon but I have four different ammo types between that weapon so still need to have regular arrows if you have elemental arrows which usually in a lot of games is not how that works I personally like how it works because elements just function differently entirely in Horizon than other games. Funny you say that because it does function the same way as it does in Elden Ring. <laughs> I feel like a lot of yeah, games since yeah. the first Horizon have taken up a very similar style. Basically, you just you have a meter above an enemy's head and you have to fill it up with a certain element. And from that point on, yeah. they are inflicted with that element. And enemies that are weak against it take take less arrows to start that and take more damage from it overall enemies that are strong you know vice versa like i like that but like now the flow of combat um if you're unfamiliar with uh games like this it's not just as simple as deal enough damage and the machine dies you can do that but the machines are very heavily armored and have only a handful of very specific weak points and even if you hit them in the weak point it still isn't going to do that much damage with some of the bigger machines so what you're really focusing on is the elemental damage, which is going to damage over time, and destroying their armor and weapons. Right. So every piece of an enemy is a separate object. And say uh, a saber-toothed tiger has like gun-type things mounted to its shoulders. You know, normal saber-toothed tiger things. Right, like saber-toothed tigers. Yeah. And, you know, a 
regular non-elemental bow might not do very much damage to that particular type of enemy, but it has a higher chance of knocking off weapons and armor. So you might start off the fight, like from stealth, taking a couple quick shots at its shoulders to try and knock off those guns. That way it has less of a risk of fighting you as you're drawing in closer for whatever your next big move is. So every machine has a whole list of breakable parts and you need those both for crafting and just for the sake of getting them away from the enemy. Right. So you can do a lot of a lot of really wild stuff. The the T-Rex is a really good example because it has Ten so much things. stuff on it. And some of the weapons and armor you can knock off, you can then turn around and use on it. Right. Like you can knock off a heavy machine gun and then pick it up yourself and that just knocks off its other weapons and armor crazy fast. Another thing that I really like about the whole like component system is that early in the game, specifically Zero Dawn for me, because a lot of these enemies in Forbidden West are like, there's a lot of, you know, the same enemies. I think all the same machines came back. But in Zero Dawn, like when I first played it, like I didn't know like what components these enemies had and stuff like that. So like they're a lot more fierce to go up against, especially the first time you fight them. So, like, every time you fight these enemies, you're learning a little bit more about them and how they fight. And then the next time you fight them, it's nothing. Like, first time you fight a T-Rex in Zero Dawn, like, it's probably your hardest fight yet. By the end of the game, probably as easy as taking out a Watcher. Well, I wouldn't go that far. They still have, like, a million HP. I don't know, though. <laughs> nah, man, you heard him. It's just as easy as taking out that one that you can take out with, like, one hit in the eye. Yeah. It's the same. I have a very specific idea about what I think the future of Horizon should be. And I think what you were just saying is a, is a good segue to that. It's time to go east. Yep. <laughs> no, <laughs> I think that the story and the characters are great. And there is so much there that's worth continuing to explore. And I think the combat is really, really strong and will last well past, you know, as, as a concept could last much further than the world and the story can. So here's my proposal. Gorilla, I want you to listen carefully because I know every single person that works in your company is listening. Horizon should be two games. Aloy's whole story, that keeps going, but in like a linear fashion with more like story-related progression and less of this, you know, less of this huge open world crafting stuff. And then there's a whole nother game about like another set of characters or a character you create yourself that's essentially just monster hunter again <laughs> and like that keeps some of the open worldness but focuses way more on the combat and less on the story in the world like this is such a rich premise but i think forbidden west biggest issue is that it's too much <laughs> it's a great game but it's exhausting sometimes <laughs> And you know and what? I, Let's drop the robot dinosaurs and get some robot dragons. I mean, it's inevitable. Like, there will be robot dragons in one of the future games, I'm sure. Hey, a few of the uh, dinosaurs pretty much just are dragons. You got the storm bird? Yeah. No, that ain't a bird. That's a, that's a pterodactyl. Does it have arms separate from its wings? No. Do pterodactyls? Not a dragon, then. Okay, fine. Wyverns. I don't actually know what the difference is. But anyways. I don't know how I feel about that. 
like I like linear games that are that are more focused on the story, and I tolerate <laughs> open world games where story is not important but are still fun. But like I like when those are messed together. Like I I I like games where you have insane you know weird story like Horizons, but you also have that over a game with a lot to do. I think the problem is. Horizon just needs less of the traditional open world stuff and, you know, more of the stuff that made like Breath of the Wild or Elden Ring great. It needs less of the open world stuff and more of this other open world stuff. It needs stuff. the other <laughs> right. type of, okay, it needs the other type of open world stuff. The good open world stuff. It needs open world too. Open worlds, <laughs> like developers just need to stop trying to copy Ubisoft. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because their model has just gotten so old. It was great in Far Cry 3. <laughs> hey, Assassin's Creed 2 and Brotherhood, incredible games when they came out. Right. But you go back to them and you're like, wow, this is so tedious. I'll be honest, the first time around, Breath of the Wild coming out right after didn't really hurt the game for me in any capacity. Um, it releasing right before Elden Ring, that's... That's not looking great for it, in my opinion, because, spoilers, Elden Ring is good. <laughs> Elden Ring is very good, and I've had a hard time pulling myself away from it enough to even play this game for this review. <laughs> I don't think saying a game is good is really a spoiler. Are you saying yeah. that's spoiling, spoiling the, next, the episode next episode of this of podcast. podcast? Yeah. It was a joke calling it a spoiler. <laughs> that was a joke calling out you calling it a spoiler. <laughs> Anyways, Snape kills Dumbledore. Yeah. Woof. Okay. So, Jackson, final thoughts on Horizon Forbidden West. Final thoughts are I need to play much more of this game, but I think a lot of what I've seen so far will probably be upheld in the rest of the game, but there are also very similar problems to what I had with Zero Dawn. And what eventually got me through Zero Dawn was the story. Because once you get to like the halfway point or so, which, as I've said before in a game, you should not have to get to the halfway point or so before you decide, like, oh, I'm going to play more of this game. <laughs> like, you should decide pretty early in if you want to stick with this game or not. Um, but I think the story of this game will really decide my overall impressions once i finish it so i'm i'm waiting for then <laughs> i will fill you guys back in with uh how i feel about this game at a later date once i've been able to play more of it as of now i stand by it's got all it's got the cool world and characters from the first game if you love those you'll probably like this if you could tolerate the bad open world stuff about the first game and if you'd like the good open world stuff about the first game Again, you'll probably like this, but don't hold me to that because I've only played the first five hours. I, I've played about the first 20-ish hours, and I will say that it expands upon what Forbidden West did well, or what Zero Dawn did well. It's just that, you know, where I am as a gamer and what I want out of video <laughs> games has changed a lot in the last five years. And I, I'm I'm almost sad that Forbidden West is is feeling that because I think the game looks incredible. I love these characters, and I'm so glad to see them expanded upon more. I think that they have laid out an incredible story. 
It's just that sometimes the tedious nature of the world around it doesn't do it justice. And that's something that I'm, I'm worried we're going to see in a lot of games going forward. Unless they take a lot of lessons from the Breath of the Wild and the Elden Rings of the world very quickly. So, to sum it up, you got $70 burning in your pocket. Is Horizon Forbidden West a buy or a don't buy? I think it's a buy, but I think that you need to prioritize the story, and you need to expect that to be what draws you in this game. Jackson? I don't want to say anything necessarily a buy for everyone, because like, like Breath of the Wild, I love that game. But I'm not going to say, like, everyone should go and buy it just because I like it. Why not? Well, just because I like it doesn't mean everyone else is going to like it. Like, I don't think you understand the point of what I just asked. <laughs> Let's say the average gamer. Like, the average person who plays at least several hours of video games a week. Do you think they should buy it? Then, yeah, I would say they should buy it. Okay. We got our answer. <laughs> As a reviewer, it doesn't matter if you think it's going to be good for everyone. It's what you thought, <laughs> you know? Well, everything we do is subjective. Right. Remember yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm directing that at the listener. Remember that. <laughs> Remember what we do is subjective. Remember, yeah. <laughs> Remember, I play a lot of Destiny 2. My opinion's invalid. Okay, well, we've got something else you got to talk about. So... We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be right back with another game. I think we can all agree that Kung Fu is awesome. So it's a shame that so few games really tap into its potential. While plenty of games have some basic three-hit combos, very few have a system as deep and rewarding as Sifu. In Slow Clap's new Kung Fu Brawler, You'll have to take on hordes of enemies with only your wits and whatever improvised weapons are at hand. You play as a young man tasked with tracking down and defeating the five assassins responsible for killing your father and destroying your home. Early on, you inherit a mystical talisman, which brings you back from the dead, but does so at a price. Each death will cause your character to grow older, leaving you more powerful, but also more fragile. How that shakes out is up to you. Um, so yeah. Sifu. Sifu. <laughs> Like so, I mentioned, you're tracking down these assassins and you're kung fuing them to death. But like, what does that actually look like? Like, what is the shape that Sifu takes? <laughs> um, I have no idea what you're asking. <laughs> Explain like how the the game flows and like what the level layout and like the progression and just sort of like how you're doing that because you know you can kung fu in a lot of settings <laughs> yeah i mean i think from a high level sifu is a 3d kung fu brawler at, at the highest level but i think what kind of makes it interesting is that it has this whole through line where as you're going through these different levels which are all kind of themed after different things that was a really weird way to word that <laughs> You go they through several themes, themed yes. levels, and the first one is something like a drug lab, and at the end of it, you fight a guy with a machete, and then the second one is a nightclub, but as you go through the nightclub, you kind of figure out it's a recruitment center for the mob, more or less, <laughs> and you have to go through like 
this whole fire themed area called like the proving to get to the final boss of that level who has a giant staff and can like burn people's arms with his hands. I don't really know what his powers are supposed to be. Nice. You see a scene of him pretty early on where he grabs one of his disciples arms and burns them. But like, I don't know if he like absorbed power from that guy or if he was just burning him to be mean or, you know, (laughs) I hope the second one. Now the levels there, are they more like linear or is there more of an openness? Like, are there multiple ways you can approach it? There, there's definitely multiple ways you can approach it. Uh, as you go through the level, you'll find different things kind of strewn throughout, like a key for a door. But the key for that door that you might have found, the door might not be in that level. Or it might be at an earlier part of the level that you can't get back to because you've, you know, you've already progressed past it. Uh, so a big thing in it is replaying levels with these new things that you found around the map to unlock new shortcuts and... Generally, the shortcuts will not only, you know, let you get to a new or let you get to like a later area faster as a shortcut does. It'll generally provide like a completely different route. So if you follow the normal route in one of the early areas, you'll end up on kind of uh, like the third floor of a drug lab. And you can take the enemies out that are at the higher levels as you make your way down and kind of stealth around it. If you take the shortcut, you come in on the ground floor where most of the enemies are. So you pretty much have to get into the fight immediately. The way you're explaining it really makes me picture like Hitman almost, but you can like carry some items and stuff between attempts. Does that sort of sound right at all? I would say so. It's somewhat similar. There's, you know, Hitman has more of a focus of replaying the same level over and over and doing different things to get, uh, XP, and then the map essentially levels up to have new things. This, I mean, there are things for the first level that you don't find until you've done the last level. You know, Mm -hmm. not necessarily shortcuts, but, you know, an extra room that might have some extra items that'll help you in the fight. I think the, the big thing on focus in the game is definitely the combat, which is inspired by a real kung fu style, which... I don't remember the name of off the top of my head. Uh, it's called Pac-May, which ah. is it's a real form of uh, martial arts. And like all the moves that you do in the game are at the very least based on real Pac-May. Um, nice. From the way you dodge to the way that you punch and kick people and knock them down. Now, um, I've watched a little bit of gameplay on this one. Uh, full disclosure, Jackson and I have not played this game. We, we wanted to leave this one up to Jason since we were going to be touching on Horizon and he was not. But I've I watched a good bit of gameplay. Though. Yeah, yeah. It sounds, it sounds excellent. Uh, that's all you get from me. Uh, it, the combat is really confusing to look at because it looks like there's really only like two attacks, but... I've also seen some people do some absolutely crazy things with that. Is that like combo stuff or is that like environmental stuff or like what what are sort of the layers here? It's kind of similar to something like Hades uh, where as nice. you play through the game, you get XP that'll let you unlock certain abilities and you buy it once to unlock it just for the run that you're on. Uh, but 
if you want to invest more XP in it, you can buy the same skill multiple times. And if you buy it, I think five times, not counting the first time you bought it just to unlock it, you unlock it permanently. And then you can use it whenever you want from then on. So in the beginning of the game, yeah, there is only, you know, one or two attacks and combos that you can really do. But as you play through the game, you unlock you know, new combos, new attacks, and sometimes just like new features entirely. You have a, uh, a focus bar at the bottom of your screen that just fills up over time as you deal damage or take damage or, you know, just to do anything fighting. <laughs> uh, and you can unlock new skills for that. Some of them are super useful. There's one that I used a whole lot that just knocks the enemy onto the ground immediately. Um, and there are others that'll be like, you punch them in the face or hit them in the eyes. So they're staggered for a little bit. It's, it's definitely a combat system that just grows both as you kind of figure out how to use it, because there are some combos you can do that, you know, it's not necessarily shown that you can do this combo, but if you mess around with it enough and you try, you know, different mixtures of light and heavy attacks, you'll kind of stumble into combos. <laughs> uh, it's really neat. I, there's a big focus on dodging because your character doesn't have a huge amount of health before you die, which leads us into another big kind of feature in the game, which I, I mentioned a little bit in the introduction uh, for the segment, which is just every time you die, you get a little bit older and there is a death counter that your character has. So every time you die... Not only do you get older, but that death counter goes up. And occasionally, you'll run into stronger enemies that'll take it back down. That death counter is what decides how many years you'll age up when you die. There's really not too much of a punishment for dying, you know, once or twice. There are pretty much gates every 10 years that your character will either not be able to gain certain skills anymore... Because there, there are some skills that you can only get while you're 29 or younger, or 39 and younger. So if you pass those ages, if you've already bought those skills, you'll still have them, but you won't be able to buy them anymore. And you can only go up until you're 70, because that's when the talisman breaks, and you just actually die then. Uh, but like I mentioned, it does have you know th those roguelike elements. Now I know, historically, you're not a huge roguelike fan, so... Does it sort of just reconcile that better, or are they pretty light mechanics in that regard? I mean, I, I would say it's pretty light mechanics. I, I think you unlock the permanent skills at a pretty fast rate. I don't know if I would want to be... I, I, like, I don't know if I'm going to play through and try to get the true ending, where you, uh, instead of killing all the bosses at the end of the levels, you can choose to spare them. I don't know if I'm going to go through all that, because... I've already played all the levels, and I've already done all the bosses, and I, I would just have to get really good at parrying. It's more of a skill-based issue at that point that I just really don't want to get that into it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I did beat the game, and I did really enjoy my time with it, but I, I do feel like it could get, in my opinion, at least repetitive if I were mm. to try to do everything. That said, I definitely did go through a lot and just try to beat levels younger, because uh, the way it works is a little weird. Because whenever you finish a level, you'll go into the next level at the age that you finished that last level. And if you beat the level, then that will be the new youngest age that you'll start that level at. 
it's a little convoluted for something that should be pretty much as simple as like you can play the level at whatever the lowest you beat the previous one. Like that yeah. should be it. <laughs> I really enjoyed the game. I just don't have too too terribly much to say about it, if I'm honest. It's also tough because we're used to at least two of us playing just about every game we get into. So there's some back and forth, but yeah, I'm pretty don't really have anything to bounce off of for this one. Yeah. <laughs> I think that, you know, that's still a whole lot of Sifu talk for just one person going on without us being able to contribute. <laughs> I, I think it's about time that we pull the plug. <coughs> <coughs> leave that in. Instead of the toilet, leave that in. Flush, 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 flush. Jackson, what else have you been into? The only things I have been playing recently are games we're reviewing. So... And I, I kind of already talked about them last week. So I'm not going to talk about any game or movie or show or song this week, actually. I'm going to talk about something a little different. That's right. I'm talking about LEGO Speed Champions. <laughs> LEGO Speed Ooh. Champions is a line of LEGO sets devoted entirely to cool cars. And March 1st, they had a new line of them come out. And instead of Walmart taking a month to get them in stock like they usually do, they got them day one. So I've already got my hands on two of these bad boys. Uh, I've got one right here with me of the of the Lamborghini Countach. Uh, I don't know what Let it's Let the from. fans see it. Yeah. <laughs> the um, Lamborghini Countach. You, you heard it tell, here. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's a pretty older model of a Lamborghini. Way before my time. It is nice, though. You know, a lot of the reason people buy Lego sets is because they look cool on this player to play with them or to build them. Something about these sets, though, like, there's always a lot of interesting moving, weirdly moving parts going on in the building system. Part of the um, building for the Lamborghini Contash is like a transformer. Like, you plug some stuff in and you have to move it around to where it goes, which is not something you see often with Lego sets. And this is, like, really cool to do. <laughs> Uh, another one that I just got earlier today, haven't had the chance to put together yet because we've been podcasting, uh, a two-pack of the Mercedes-AMG F1 W12E Performance, that's the full name, and the Mercedes-AMG Project 1, which you may recognize the Project 1 is the uh, the cover car from Horizon 5. Forza Horizon 5. feel like I should clarify since we talked about a different Horizon earlier this episode. It's going to be real egg on your face when uh, Horizon uh, Forbidden West uh, three sequels from now has that car on the front. And they got some other sets uh, too. They got the uh, Lotus Evia? I don't know how to pronounce it. Uh, it's E-V-I-J-A. Hey, look, bud. That didn't stop you with the Kuntalk. <laughs> <laughs> I called it it's Kantash. I called it that. Uh, you also got the 1970 Ferrari 512M. It seems more of like your typical like souped up like racing car. Definitely not something you'd actually so see someone driving anywhere. <laughs> and then uh, my personal favorite, they got Kuntash. Aston Martin for the first time. Kuntash. They got a two-pack with the Valkyrie AMR Pro and the Vantage GT3. I don't remember which one of these it was. One of these is a concept car, which they've never done before. And which one what? of them is the one that Jimmy Bond drove? Neither. But 
there are leaks and lego leaks are usually pretty accurate there's gonna there's possibly with the grain of salt still because it's a rumor slash leak there's possibly gonna be an aston martin db5 set later this year so uh I'm, i, I thought the db5 true. set already came out no no that's the big like 150 dollar like huge one speed champions are specifically like minifigure size cars oh so yeah. this is what i've been doing Kuntash. for the past few days this is what I'm gonna continue that's too to relatable do. <laughs> <laughs> i'm confused never mind uh, i don't know this is what i've been doing the past few days it's what i'm gonna continue to keep doing once i get the other ones because that's just that's what that's what i do um and hopefully by next week i can actually talk about something relevant to our podcast again so anyways jason i'll be honest i love this <laughs> i know i i brought i brought some weird energy into this <laughs> So I just didn't know that I would have to listen to Car Talk when I tuned into this podcast today. <laughs> hey, it's car called talk Horizon. From people that don't actually know anything about. Oh yeah, I don't cars know about themselves. how cars. I don't know anything about how cars function. Um, I just know they look cool. <laughs> That's what. Yeah, matters. I reckon that car probably goes about. I don't know, ten Fast. foot in a single push. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, Jason, what have you been into? And please be something related to what we do on this podcast. Oh, you know it's not. <laughs> I've watched the hit film from 2004, I think, Trek 2. Ooh. And let me tell you, it, it holds up pretty good. There's the, there's that part where they... <laughs> where the cops plant catnip on puss in boots that's funny what <laughs> i okay for the record i've not seen shrek 2 i've only seen shrek 1 and shrek the musical well you're missing out because shrek 2 is better than shrek the musical oh and i can't forget the puss in boots movie shrek 2 introduced puss in boots he's incredible in this movie wait was he not in the first one no what i could have sworn <laughs> he was okay maybe i shrek have seen two. shrek 2 let me just get this across to you bud in Shrek 1, Shrek is going to save the princess so he can get his land back. Shrek 2 is he and Fiona go... Well, the, it, the intro to the movie is their honeymoon. And then after that, they go to the land of Far, Far Away to get uh, the king yes. and king's blessing. Because, well, the king and the queen are Fiona's parents. Ah, um, okay. And say. I do have to point out one one flaw with this movie in that... It's weird that it's weird that he gets, you know, the blessing of the king and queen after they're already married. Right? Right. I think yeah. that usually happens first. Yeah, normally. Uh, anyways, that's the only flaw with the movie. <laughs> Otherwise, perfect film. <laughs> Honestly, the uh the ending scene where uh the fairy godmother sings uh holding out for a hero incredible it's been our worst pulling the plug yet <laughs> it's had and more, i have nothing to i have nothing to talk about this has had more energy than the rest of this episode has. <sighs> God. i've like i'm in the same i'm in the same boat as jackson i i've only been playing games that we're going to talk about in depth in the future i've been listening to a lot of mgmt so that's that's a good one i recommend them it's a solid group. Um, 
it's about all I got. <laughs> no, no actual plugs to pull, unfortunately, other than for uh, an album that came out, uh, I don't know, probably 10, 15 years ago. Let's double check, actually. Say closer to the yeah. 10. Yeah. I've been listening to an album that came out in 2007. Oh, okay. Never mind. <laughs> that's that's, that's exactly all I got. 15. I think it's time we put down this episode. <laughs> wow. I think, it's lived, I think it's lived a long enough and happy enough life, and it deserves... Instead of doing a, instead end. of doing an outro, can you just include the sound of a uh, like a, a gun going off? <laughs> no, but I can do this. Kuntash. <laughs> what? <laughs> Anyways, thank you for listening to the Totally Biased Media podcast. If you would like to reach out to us, there are a lot of ways you can do that. At TBMcast on Twitter, at Totally Biased Media on Instagram. We're on Twitch t- twitch.tv slash Totally Biased Media. We're trying to stream bare minimum once every other week, but we're, we're hoping to pump those numbers up in the near future. So, if you have your own reviews or any significant thoughts on the show, you can email those to totallybiasedmedia at gmail.com. We learned recently we actually have some listeners out there, and for that, we are extremely grateful. And it's not just like my mom or whatever. We're also extremely sorry. <laughs> yeah. We're, we found out that people have been listening to us, and it was very disheartening. <laughs> but for the Totally Biased Media Podcast, I'm Jordan Walkup. I'm Jason Simmons. And I'm Jackson Walkup. You just felt the bias. Thank you, everybody. Goodbye. <laughs>